good evening, and welcome to the Psychic Talk Shop. I'm Ace Knight, Master Psychic, Clairvoyant, and all the things. And of course, with me tonight is Techie Joe with the Mostus. How are you, darling? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, how are you this evening? Tired. <laughs> Aren't we all? Well, yeah, but I don't think everyone knows. I'm in training this week. Um, not teaching it, actually, you know, getting the training. Um, mm-hmm. A House is doing a Tarot Masters class, and yay, I signed up for it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So, refreshing that certification, basically. Mm-hmm. Refreshing that certification, getting some EC, some CCUs, EC, I don't know, continuing education. CEUs. CEUs. Continuing education units. Right. Or CECs, continuing edu- education credits. Right. So getting all that stuff updated. Then I'm also doing a life. I'm doing um, Take Control by Mel Robbins. It's a life coaching thing. At this mm-hmm. time because I don't know. Everyone thinks it's time to educate. Yes. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I was working on a client's computer. <laughs> and I was suddenly realizing that I'm not going to be able to do a show with that between my knees. Um <laughs> I know I said what I said. I know. I know. So, hey, Shannon. Hey, Brenda. Oh, hello, Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Hello, Miss Brenda. It's the Shannon show, show. You know, Shannon, you know, maybe we should talk. Maybe you should do a show, especially when you get to Mexico. Oh, yes, please. You can take us on rides and, you know, different things and that type of thing. Hey, that works. Yep. That works. Take us for tacos. Street tacos are amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was watching a thing and something that, you know, living in Mexico is going up. Because, you know, I've always joked about, and there's now it used to be about $400 a month the last time I looked at it. Now it's about $2,000 a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And I still live in the nice part of Mexico and, you know, have the pool boy, housekeeper, that type of thing. Well, you know. Uh, Living around the world, exploitative Mm -hmm. uh, expatriotism. Yes. Because it's what we're doing. It would be what we're doing. It's what a lot of people are doing. Right. Um, and I mean, I call it exploitative. It's honestly like there comes a point you just can't live in your own country. There comes a point where a man with no country is, is, is you know, must, you know, oh, let's just reenact my family history. Not a problem. <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. Right. Oh, my goodness. So, yay. Well, in joyful news, Mystic signed a new computer. Or a new client. Well, I'm glad you signed a new computer and you have a new client. New client. (laughs) It's been a week. Oh, yes. But so I'm excited about that. Right. So, yay. Got that done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Google free yeah. bang, which is nice. It should be easier. Mm-hmm. Notice I use that word. It's nice. Do what now? Google and its newsfeed. 
Well, yes. Yeah. It's doing new things. It is. Ooh. In your box. I know, right? Yeah. The sun is up to research and see the art song Tombstone Shadow. Inspired by Bad Psyche from San Bernardino. San Bernardino. Yeah. Oh, CC, yeah. So CCR song Tombstone Shadow inspired by Bad Psyching San Bernardino. So yeah, Credence Clearwater Revival played San Bernardino Swing Auditorium twice in 1969. First in February as an opening act, second in September as the headliner, setting an attendance record at Swing a month after the band's performance at the Woodstock Festival. All in all, in just seven months, the band's fortunes had rocketed upwards. A fortune teller in San Bernardino had predicted the opposite. Oh, we played a show in San Bernardino, and right across the street from our hotel was a fortune teller. John Fogarty, CCR's leader, wrote in his 2015 memoir, Fortunate Son, about the encounter. Before or after the band's February 1st, 1969 concert, Fogarty walked into the shop on a lark thinking he'd find an exotic medium like Maria Ospenska mm -hmm. from The Wolfman. Instead, he found a man wearing a green bowling shirt. Fogarty, undeterred, paid the $5 fee. Okay, granted, 1969, that's that's probably high. Yeah, price. That's good value. That's 20 bucks. Okay. Yeah. The, the man examined Fogarty's palms and told him, that's bad. You shouldn't fly in airplanes. That could put a, uh, put a crimp in a band's touring plans. Next, Fogarty cut a deck of cards. The fortune teller lifted up two cards, both red, a seven and a six. You're going to have 13 months of bad luck, the fortune teller advised him. For this, he wanted $5. At Swing, the band whose recently released album, Bayou Country, had the hits Born on the Bayou and Proud Mary open for Canned Heat, a pairing uh, that a concert flyer called a double boogie happening at the Swing Auditorium. Can you dig it? The band hit it big as 1969 progressed. On August 3rd, CCR released another album, Green River, which has the songs Bad Moon Rising, Lodi, and, Fogr and a Fogarty pen track prized by aficionados, Tombstone Shadow. Um, so yeah, the first verse, saw the gypsy man way down in San Bernardu, or San Berdu, said, I saw the gypsy man way down in San Berdu, $5 on the table, oh, keep me away from my tomb. Oh, <laughs> hey, any press is good press. Um, <laughs> not that, <laughs> not that, not well, that. Dude. See, here's my question you know, this is my thing, and this is my thing in general. One, I want to know, did he have any plane problems all of those 18 months? One, two, how much plane trouble, how many planes did he take that time? True. Yeah. True. Like, yeah, I'm curious if there was anything that they changed. Right. Like, did he actually listen to anything that, that the guy said and, like, this made a difference? Or was it just, I don't know. I mean, I think it happens. Just, you know, yeah. bad reading. Well, and I think that this is indicative, you know, you know, your luck is different. Your bad luck is different than my bad luck. 
-hmm. Your view of bad luck is God, 28 cities, on the bus, rockling your ass around. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Brenda's got a question. So Ace and a red six and seven, what do you say? 13 months bad luck? See, that's the question here. Is there's not enough differentiation. Um, a red six would, would be a heart or a diamond, and a red seven would be a heart or a diamond. Uh-huh. <sighs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to go off camera in a minute. I moved my pull box. Oh no! Okay, cool. All right, so well, continuing on with the lovely story. Um, so yeah, let me get back there. So the, um, the Sun Telegram took notice of Tombstone Shadow with a story headline, they're singing about SB. First paragraph, move over San Jose, Kansas City, and Indianapolis. Now they're singing songs about San Bernardino. The city has joined the growing list of American cities that are getting a plug of one kind or another from the rock music field. Those would seem to be references to Do You Know the Way to San Jose, Kansas City, and Little Green Apples, respectively. On September 20th, a month after Woodstock, Credence was back at Swing Auditorium, this time as the headliner. This time, I guess, it was a single boogie happening. I can thank Armando Castro for finding news coverage of the concert and posting clips in one of his nifty Tales from the IE videos on YouTube. The audience of 7,100 set a swing record for attendance. Some 2,000 teenagers milled about out, uh, milled around outside the venue after learning the show was sold out. Several trash cans were set on a fire, and numerous arrests were made by officers, according to the Sun-Telegram. Uh, the attendance record lasted until Jimi Hendrix's notorious June 1970 concert, which drew 7,300 and also involved the police who fired tear gas. Um, so, yeah, the Sun-Telegram devoted an entire page to photos from the CCR concert, like a gathering of the tribes, and the accompanying story began. Young people from all over the Inland Empire poured into San Bernardino's Swing Auditorium Saturday night to revel in the heavy sounds of Credence Clearwater Revival. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I'm not defending what? this dude, but there's a debate. <laughs> okay, and here's the debate. Um, because Reds are either loving money. I'm trying to think why he would only use two cards. What was the fourth card? Third card. One would think, yeah. One would think. Well, I mean, cardamancy, are there, are there, is there a two-card spread for cardamancy no. that people commonly use? One, three, five, nine. We do odds. Oh, well, okay. So what if it was two one-card readings? Yeah, it's a possibility. Then, you know, it is what it is. And, all right, I'm not going to be nice to the box. I'm tired of that. Okay. Can I share this deck? Yes, I can share this deck. Sorry, guys, we have decks that I can't show on air. True. Oh, God, which one are you using? Looks like an advertisement deck for Princeton. What? I grabbed the advertisement deck for Princeton we had in the game box because my poker deck's in the bottom of the bag over there. Oh. 
wild. I didn't know I had a Princeton advertisement deck. Yeah, like maybe we should charge them. Mm. So we're looking at for sixes and sevens, reds. Yep, and red. <clears throat> yeah, the suits would help. I'm just thinking, though, it, it sets it up. It's only four possible cards, right. and the so they only fill. have... Hmm? And the unknowing fill. Well, a potential unknown right. uh, we don't know what the third, third card, card in the reading. Right. So if you have a mix-up of like six and seven, like the six of hearts, you know, your seven of hearts, and then your six of hearts, well, yeah, your love's decreasing. You've gone from very complicated emotional love down to very simple friendship. Okay. Okay. Then you have the, the six of diamonds and the seven of diamonds. Um, the six of diamonds to the seven of diamonds is an increase of money and wealth, but it also shows a thief. Oh, Brenda's suggesting one card and pulled a clarifier. That's not normal in a one card reading, but good, good possibility. Okay. Okay. So then you got to go and you got to reverse here. Well, you know, we have to take the credence, the idea of uh, the six of diamonds, the seven of diamonds falling in with the six of hearts. Well, that's a cheating affair. The seven to the six, the six of diamonds to the seven of um, hearts, that shows that there's more love than money going on and that, you know, you're financially unstable. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's that next card that he didn't cover in this article, and I don't think it's covered in the song. True. Well, it wasn't covered in the story. I don't think it covered it in the song at all, did it? No, I'm probably not. Yeah, it was just mentioning Sam uh, uh, Sam Berdu. Right. And uh, <laughs> the Gypsy Man. Uh, uh, um, uh, saw the gypsy man way down in San Bernardino. Said I saw the gypsy man way down in San Bernardino. Five dollars on the table. Ooh, keep me away from my tombstone. Oh, oh. Said I had 13 months of bad luck, but um, bound to be some pain. Don't be tra don't be traveling, flying in no machines. Tombstone shadows stretched across my path. Every time I got some good news, oh, the shadow is on my back. Uh-oh, the man gave me a lucky charm. Cost me five bucks. Said, put uh, this underneath your pillow and put some on your door. Okay, so there's some root charm going on there. He said, take a long vacation. Well, you know, thirteen for 13 months or more. Oh, Lord. Okay, cool. So there's some things we can put together in the song. Mm -hmm. It's not really reported in the article. Okay. Okay. The man gave me a lucky charm, cost me five bucks more, said put this on your pillow and put some on your door. So with that denoting that, we also have to then go and look at the tour. But so there's a counteractive occurring there. Yeah, so, and Brenda brings up numerology coming in there, a 13, you know, 6 and 7 is 13, so that's 13 years bad luck. I mean, months. 13 months bad luck. 
Um, oh, and that might be the better question. Um, is there what would be the difference, or would there be any between pulling hearts or diamonds to get months versus years? Um, or would it just be the up to influence? It would be up to influence. Okay. okay. Um, meanwhile just just uh a correction on the inflation rate between 1969 okay. and 2023 that was not a 20 reading he had that was a 41 and 10 cent reading with another $41.10 in uh a, a good luck charm okay. all for Probably a total more. yeah so that was the equivalent of an 82 dollar and 20 cent reading today hmm Damn, my prices suck. Hmm? Like, I'm just sitting there going, damn, $82 and something? Damn. And not, you didn't even get credit in the song. Like, come on, dude. I mean, right? Yeah. Seriously. Um, but then again, one could say that, like, that was all influenced by the good luck charm. Yeah. Like, like that... best $5 anyone ever spent. Right. Because it could just be CCR who? Right. And, you know, we got to look at CCR. They pull a lot of stuff. Like, they, mm-hmm. like during that time, a lot of things happened with CCR. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, it was a great, it, they've had a great career. They've had a great like, career. Holy effing shit, they've had a great career. Right. So I just wonder, A, what was the storm? It's probably either Success Oil or Rue. Um. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no comment of what the charm was. Like, they didn't even go by the charm. Um, I'm just saying, it would have been one of the best $5 ever spent. Well, well, $10 ever spent. Right. But, again, I think there's more to the story. I think that there's a good review of a reading. And, yeah, it may have been a bad situation. And he's setting him up for a good situation. But mm-hmm. we don't know, like, I personally don't know what happened after. Um, I wonder if a fan, because CCR has a very dedicated fan base. Let's wonder if they actually done this. Okay, CCR for 1969. Here we go. Going backwards. Ten pages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like they played a lot of the film more than 68, 68, 68, 68, 68. All right, so in 69. Detroit, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, Long Beach, California, San Francisco, San Francisco. Um, San Jose. So so they're all in California for a good bit there. New York. Back up another page. 
New Mexico, they went out to Detroit in June. They went to Cleveland, New York, New York, Portland, Vancouver, Washington, Seattle, Washington. Yeah, so they had to be on a, uh, on a few flights. I don't know. I think they were on buses. Really? Really. Okay. The reason I say is they're all like, like they grouped them all together. Like they're hitting one stop after another. It's not like, well, I'm here, then I'm there. It's like, no, we're in, you know, the whole month of uh, May, they were in San Francisco. Then they went to, they went and they done the East Coast and then they come back and they on the West Coast. Ooh, that makes me wonder though. Okay. Sorry, I just had a realization. Okay. Um... Yeah, that was fifty nine. Okay, sorry the the la the year has struck me for a second, and I was just a decade off. Okay, I was I I had this horrible moment where I was like, oh God, could CCR have become like what happened to the well, what's known as the day the music died? Right. That uh, Buddy Holly, but no, that that was ten years before that. Correct, but you know, I also believe. Oh wow! So sometimes they even done double concert. Um, it's my opinion that you know they could have been part of the Twenty Seven Club, which is a whole other conspiracy theory. Oh yeah. Okay. So, was it a bad psychic greeting, or was it a psychic greeting that we really don't have all the details to? That's debatable. Yeah. But either way, love was going down the toilet or money was being stolen, one of the two. Now, I just wonder if CCR ever had an accounting problem. Well, there is that. Um... I don't know. Of course, then again, there's always the theory that, like, got different information, made different choices, ended up in a different place. Exactly. Like. Hmm, right. So let's move over to this professor that's fallen into the psychic uh, conundrum. All right. So how a former Columbia professor fell deep into psychic pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't expect Ivy League researchers to start dabbling in pseudoscience, but it's more common than you might think. Okay. So Spiro Pentazados uh, doesn't seem to mind that his research interests lie off the beaten path. Quote, I've always been fascinated by research topics that don't tend to get a lot of attention or funding from, for whatever reason. If they're considered taboo, for instance, 
a clinical neurobiology researcher told the Daily Bees. For the most part, his citations would be considered par for the course for any scientist who studies the brain. His work includes a bevy of papers showing the brain's role in everything from depression to obesity. There's nothing uh, peculiar about uh, these avenues of research. It's well established that such links exist, even if the specifics are still being pieced together. But there are a few clues into uh, uh, Pantazato's penchant for the unconventional. Take his 2014 paper published in the journal NeuroImage. Looking at birth dates and brain scans, uh, Pantazato's related a person's birth season to specific differences in their brain structure and function when separated by sex. At the time, Wired called the results intriguing. Uh, the project sparked a more ambitious idea to validate these trends more thoroughly. Data sets of American patients do not contain birth dates since they're considered a form of protected health information under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. But perhaps uh, Panizados thought he could source brain scans and personal information directly from volunteers, cut out the middlemen, he said. By 2021, Panizados, then a faculty member at Columbia University, had set up the project with 10,000 in funding from NYC Media Lab, an accelerator for early stage media and technology startups. A new organization called IONS based in Novato, California, had joined the research helping recruit participants and guiding its direction. Called My Brain and Me, the project asked a range of survey questions from people who submitted their brain scans, including a specific set designed in collaboration with IONS. In a post titled Columbia University to Study the Neuroanatomy of Psychic Abilities, IONS described the newest goal of the project. There is an ever growing body of evidence that psychic abilities like telepathy, psychokinesis, astral projection, and channeling are not only real, they're quite common, the post read. My brain and me would help answer the question of whether psychic experience could be mapped to certain regions of the brain. But there's a massive problem with this premise, Yale School of Medicine Neurology researcher Stephen Novella told the Daily Beast, it's completely not true. There is no growing body of evidence for any of these phenomena, Novella added. In fact, after 100 years of study, they've made no progress whatsoever. My brain and me meant that Penizados had leapt from the unconventional to the outright controversial. The study of psychic abilities, often called psi or noetic sciences by its believers, and parapsychology or even simply pseudoscience by mainstream scientists, is undoubtedly a fringe topic. Yet its research, demonstrated by researchers like Patizados and an organization like IONS, has moved off from the fringe. Experts told the Daily Beast that growing frustrations in scientific publishing and academic freedom got us here, and it will take a substantial reform of both systems to separate fact from fiction. My! Yeah, it sounds like somebody isn't happy that there's growing evidence, and there's been growing evidence for quite a while. Um, I, I'm glad <clears throat> we're starting to see them get back into the study of the brain, and where everything kind of lays into it um and how it's effective and how it's effective differently because there were some studies in the late 50s about psychic psychic brains and how they're different um there's also been some research on how 
certain combinations of lifestyle and food and how the pituitary gland interlinks with everything. It's a debatable situation there. Okay. Um, go on. Oh. So, yeah, let me... Uh, sorry, I scrolled down a little bit just to see. Um, so, yeah... Extraordinary claims the founding focus of ions, according to the nonprofit organization's website, is to reveal the interconnected nature of reality. This aim might appropriately be described as otherworldly. The late Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell founded the Institute of Noetic Sciences in 1973, two years after he became the sixth man to walk on the moon. He described having an epiphany about universal interconnectedness and his spacecraft uh, as his spacecraft headed back to Earth and would cite this experience as a major reason for starting ions. Mm -hmm. Now, with this large subtle belief there that there was a, a alien encounter with Apollo 14 um, and also a large spiritual reckoning with Apollo 14. Um, there's a lot of mystery around Apollo 14. Ah. With this general goal in mind, the organization's priorities have significantly shifted in the past several decades. ION's Director of Research, Helen uh, Helene uh, Wab uh, Waba, told the Daily Beast, its research arm launched two decades ago is a relatively new addition to ION's broader programming of education and events, yet it has taken over as one of the organization's marquee enterprises. From June 2020 to 21, research expenses totaled more than 760,000, nearly 20% of ION's annual expenditures. An additional 100,000 research prize for work in the noetic sciences was announced on March 29th. So, yeah, ION, uh, IONS really prides itself on being the trailblazer in front of the pack in terms of frontier science, Waba said. Uh, what exactly this area entails can span a range of experiences and extended human capacities, Waba said. Decades ago, IONS was a, pro uh, a prominent supporter of mindfulness meditation when people in the West were skeptical of it. Today, the Institute invites people to share specific and remarkable experiences they have had, like telepathy, precognition, and clairvoyance. It's the organization's parapsychological endeavors that elicit real criticism from its skeptics today. ONS recruits uh, participants for research studies, rating photos to be used in a remote viewing study, or teaming up with a partner who could be miles away and guessing if you're both viewing the same photograph. Uh, Panizato's study is highlighted on the website too. Waba said the research question that ION's, uh, IONS is most interested in is whether specific brain regions can be linked to any of the any of over a dozen different noetic experiences. So yeah, yeah, I really hope they're setting the communal gland. I'm sure they are. Yeah, like as in, I, I think it's it's wide open. Yeah, just to try to. One, try to see if, okay, is this all from one area of the brain, one general area of the brain, one one specific, specific spot in the brain, right. or is it interconnected with other parts of the brain? Right. Like this and this make this, this and this make that. Right. Let's take a look and see what the current experiments are. Um, ionics versus prisoner binary. 
optimal differences, gut brain telepathia, channeling blended mediumship. Interesting. That sounds like a rare, like that sounds like a project I know we need to send Natalie over to. Oh. Meditation, PSI, and synchronicity. Golfer's alternate use of task. The effect of vi uh, of visual re reality instruction AE. Um, for Blendall, Big C Connection, Channeling Remote Viewing Database, Channeling Physical Mediumship Research Project, Neoatic Signature Characteristics. That one is a channeling one. It's seeing if there are neurological characteristics to channelers. Um, the Healing, um, Healing Lucid Dream Study, which is an interesting study if you want to take time to go through and read that. Let's go ahead and just drop the site. Let me grab that. Like, if you're into reading research papers, you know, over your coffee, here you go. And there you go. There you are. It went out. That's lovely. I love it when they actually do that. I will also put this in the show notes. Yay! Yeah. Yeah, so let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with some of the stuff we've been playing up to, because first we're going through the spring reset. And some discussion we got into yesterday. Okay. Okay. Hi, this is Sandy Star. I'm a psychic, and I work on Keen, and I have been working on Keen for over 22 years. You can reach me on 01068. I deal with a myriad of subjects, but I do specialize in relationships, marriages, divorces, is he cheating, is she cheating? Whatever the dynamic of the relationship is, I will guide you through. I've got amazing radar for cheaters, so I will tell you the truth if he or she is cheating. I can help with any subject you need me to help you with besides relationships and I look forward to hearing from you again you can reach me through Keen and my extension number is 01068 I really look forward to hearing from you and helping you with whatever you need me to help you with hi I'm Tracy Van I'm a psychic medium and I work with tarot cards I also press practice Reiki and access bars I would like to share with you what a reading with me is like it is a blended reading of psychic and mediumship. And I deliver these messages exactly as they come through. I'm not going to mince words or add any padding. I am a professional, reliable, and honest communicator. I have readings available anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. You can book a reading with me at tracyvan.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y-V-A-N-N.com. And no, I'll always tell you exactly what you need to hear. Hey, everybody. Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. If you are in need of guidance, direction, spiritual connection, healing, 
or more, you have come to the right place. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years, connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, their past healings, their blockages, and what they need to know in order for them to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would come to my website at www.thependulumspath.com, visit my shop. I have a whole bunch of crystals, oils, bombs, mystery boxes, and more. And visit my services. I offer 15-minute, 30-minute, and 60-minute sessions. I also have email readings available if you're not comfortable with the one-on-one session with me or if you just want to try me out. I encourage you to come visit me at the Pendulum's Path and let's get you back on the right track today. Hey everybody, Lady Gwendolyn here from Rowan Temple of Light and I'm here to tell you about our events this summer. First up is Beltane in the Hills, May 13th, and that is from 1 to 6. We have entertainment, we have a bunch of vendors, we have a fairy photo shoot, it's going to be exciting. You have any questions, uh, reach out to Earth Magic or to myself. Um, after that, we have uh, Central West Virginia Pagan Pride, August 19th, that's at Holly Gray Park from 11 to 5 for the day. And we will have Sarah Masters coming down from Pittsburgh to be our keynote speaker. We have some great classes for that. So, if you want to get involved, reach out to Rowan Temple of Light at Gmail. Or just follow us along on Facebook at Rowan Temple of Light. And we look forward to seeing you out in the community. See you there. All right. Welcome back. So, you guys haven't noticed, we've talked a while here about morning routines and the importance of them, some of the science coming out. Um, one of the new concepts we're looking at is sleep inertia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts, you know, kind of filling in on what we've been talking about and, you know, what, you, what you've seen? Um, so, all right, so sleep inertia, um, actually, that one specifically came from Mel Robbins. Mm-hmm. And it's her general uh, uh, general idea um, that if you are struggling every morning with resetting your alarm, um, you're effectively pushing yourself back into a sleep cycle that you're then immediately disrupting. So if your alarm goes off at, say, 7 a.m. and you don't get up, uh, but instead you go, I want nine more minutes, five more minutes, seven more minutes, whatever, and snooze, um, you're then in turn restarting a sleep cycle that you then interrupt. Um, and if you continue to do this, it gets worse and worse um, because you're just compounding the issue. And effectively, you are taking um, away from your morning um and setting the tone for your day as tired exhausted and not ready to get anything done mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of research behind this theory that it takes like four hours for you to get you know out of that process because it is a process of going to sleep and sleep cycles and calculating sleep rhythms and there's some cool apps out there now that you, you know you can basically calculate um, how long you need to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I would point out this This is a little different than if you have a habit of sleeping through alarms. Right. Um, though it has some similarity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of if you're not getting enough sleep and you are sleeping through your alarms and you're having to set multiple alarms to be able to get up, um, that does create its own issues. Right. Um, and I will say I am a multi-alarm setter just because I have a tendency to sleep through my alarms. Um, and it usually is because I'm not getting enough sleep. Right. Um, because we have, you know, unfortunate days where, you know, I end up having to run really late in the night. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, like I've got to be on the road mm-hmm. and go to Princeton. And so I've got to get up right and early. Right. Um, and yeah, so I reflexively set multiple alarms, like yeah. just in case. Nine times out of ten, I'm gonna wake up on the first one. Usually the second one. Um, if I do go over the first one, the third one, um, I'm almost always awake for. Right. Um, typically, if I hit the third one, it's real bad. Right, and that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about right. is that the brain can literally get trapped into like a um, cycle. Mm -hmm. of trying to wake up from a sleep cycle and that sleep cycle wake up process Mm -hmm. when interrupted takes a few hours it does and you know we were talking about this last night and i want to go into this too about bifurcated sleep Mm -hmm. and how that is actually a thing it is um there there's actually it's really strange you start digging into uh nobility Mm-hmm. is where you start seeing some of the first um like reports of it um and the reason that was so was because it had so much to do with the running of um you know the the royal household um that if someone was not um you know in bed by x time slept an extended period and then up and and it was part of the you know your your more traditional normal seeming common um you know eight hours roughly um at night sleep cycle um then that household had to be prepared for that and had to you know make adjustments to whatever sleep cycle that um you know royal or affluent or rich person had Right. Um, in, in terms of staffing and making sure someone's available, if, for instance, you know, they sleep for a few hours, then get up and want a sandwich and play cards till you know five in the morning, and then go back to sleep for a couple of hours and get back up. Right. Um, and so when we're talking bifurcated, uh, by meaning two and furcated meaning uh, divisions, mm-hmm. um, that's what we're talking about: is sleep divided in two. Um, so yeah, and there, there's other versions. It doesn't just have to be, you know, sleep divided in two. Some people have like three parts sleep. Um, there's a lot of different versions of that. Um, you know, and typically where it got notoriety was, or became worth noting was when it did require staffing Uh concern. Right. Um, that you're going to have to provide something, do something, be available for something. Um, some um, some royals would host, uh, you know, like parties and get-togethers and events um, during those late hours. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, for some it was, uh, um, sometimes it wasn't all that, that so to speak, big of a deal. It was just kind of like they got normal night's sleep plus a nap. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was still noteworthy to how the household ran. Right. Um, you know, sometimes it was in a sense of like, they didn't go to sleep until like four or five in the morning, Mm -hmm. um, got up in the afternoon um did their royal official business and then you know their end of business day was at a particular time they got a one hour nap and then they partied all night till Mm -hmm. that five in the morning right so that requires some differences in how a household runs and what people you know are needed and when they're needed right and you know somehow around the revolution of adding electricity to our lives Mm-hmm. And then, you know, moving out of that into um, the Industrial well, Revolution. Well, yeah, more so the Industrial Revolution is where this all became important to know and right. talk about when people slept. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of knowing how, uh, like, trying to determine how much sleep, you know, humans need so that we can set shifts um, for business and ensure that people have enough sleep to be able to work the next day. It also went on to influence a lot of like our blue laws in mm-hmm. terms of alcohol purchase. So people could be sober for the next day at work so that they had a period of time in which they could not purchase alcohol, could get good rest and be ready for Monday morning. Um, it, it really ended up becoming a thing that previously no one cared it wasn't important if you if you were a common person you you lived in your little hut mm-hmm. and you know you you had your nice little agrarian life you you had some livestock and a, a few acres of land did anyone really care right when you slept or you you had your little you know hovel in the woods and you you know shot game and sourced berries and had a little side garden and did some canning and whatever. Um, again, no one cared. Right. You slept when you slept, you lived how you lived, you did what you did. Right. And no one really wrote about it. And then we move into that industrial age and suddenly we had, we literally had to care. Right. Um, and start, you know, trying to, to uh, answer some of the questions of how much sleep does a human being need? When do they need to sleep? Is it possible to run a business 24-7, you know, in shift work? Um, you know, what what you know problems is that gonna create? Um, and so that's where we move into this industrial age and the beginning of trying to understand sleep mm-hmm. and what its effects are and what sleep deprivation does and what shift work does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we could ultimately, the whole point was to, you know, be good little workers. Right. Um, and they're funny, like, as you age, your sleep cycle changes, you know, mm-hmm. there's a well-known fact that older people wake up earlier. Or later. That's a weird thing that happens, too. Right. Um, that was, that was kind of a notable thing with my father. Mm -hmm. He worked construction, woke up every morning at Mm 4am. 
Um, didn't matter if it was his day off or not, or right. days off or not, if he was on vacation or not. Right. He woke up at 4 a.m. Right. Um, so it became notable. Right. When that suddenly shifted five hours. Right. And he started waking up at nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a random thing that occurred. Right. Um, you know, because I clearly remember, uh, you know, after he first retired and like I had gone to college, him calling and talking to me about he got up every morning, got a shower, went to Walmart because mm-hmm. it's the only thing open. Mm-hmm. And he he basically walked around and bought his Tic Tacs because he he had a thing for Tic Tacs. Um, especially when they had the little stopwatch in there. He really loved Tic Tacs when they had the stopwatch in the big giant package. He bought one every day, mm-hmm. which is a lot of Tic Tacs, let me tell you. And a lot of stopwatches. He filled up a whole grocery bag mm-hmm. with those little tiny stopwatches. Like, they're not that big. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it became a thing. Um, but this is what he did every morning for right. something to do. Right. Um, until the rest of the world woke up and he could do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, because he got tired of watching the news and sports and daytime talk television and all that. Right. Um, he got so bored. Became, yeah, he got bored. Yeah. Um, so and then all of a sudden he quit doing that. Mm-hmm. And for the first time ever, I called my I called him at like, you know, it was probably like eight in the morning. Like I'd gotten to work or something and needed to call him about something and woke him up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you okay? Are you sick? You know, like, what's wrong? I'm fine. I was sleeping. Right. Okay. I'll call you back later. So I called him back later. And I was like, what was that this morning? Are you okay? He's like, I don't know. I started sleeping till nine now. Mm-hmm. And that was just a thing. Right. Started staying up later at night and getting up later in the morning. And I was right. <laughs> like that just became a thing. Right. So it was a pretty big shift. He used to go to bed around uh, nine or 10 PM and get up at four. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shifted to, he was staying up till like one and two right. and getting up at um, nine. Right. Um, but the editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post has a lovely book out on sleep and the importance of it and how your brain plays into it and, you know, like why naps are technically important for the human race, uh, okay. even if it's just yeah. 15 minutes. Oh, naps are important for the human race. Sorry, I thought you said gnats. I was like, what are gnats doing for us? Naps. Naps are doing great things for us. Yes. I don't know. I, I think at some point we may have had bad sleep science around the Industrial Revolution and we, we might not have gotten all the right answers. Right. Um, because I've always found it interesting that we keep talking in terms of the like optimal holy grail is eight hours a night of sleep. Right. Yet no one gets it. Right. Like, I don't know anyone that gets it. It's everyone's either shorter right. or a whole lot longer. Right. Um, but, you know, her book, which is a lovely book, I highly recommend it, especially if you're trying to figure out why your sleep is not your sleep anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, go check it out. It's, it's uh, 
The science of sleep doesn't lie. Well-rested workers are better employees. Um, The lack of sleep accounts for 11.3 days worth of loss of productivity in each calendar year the wor that works out to the equivalent of $2,280 being wasted. Um, oh, yeah. This is interesting. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the part of, because you, you sent the HuffPost article. So, according to... Um, uh, Partha Sararthi, if you struggle with this issue, you should ignore the advice to put away the screens and ex instead mm -hmm. expose yourself to bright light in the late evening. This can mean going for a walk outside before the sun sets, reading a book on a bright iPad, getting artificial lights for your home, or watching TV on a bright screen. Mm -hmm. These bright lights will tell the brain that the sun hasn't set yet which will hold the melatonin production, he said, to help yourself stay up a little later and sleep a little later as a result. Um, so, yeah. All right. So for those of you struggling with that late afternoon, late evening, like it's too early to actually go to bed, mm -hmm. you know, or you're you're getting up really early in the morning. Right. Um, yeah, bright light. Mm -hmm. Push the bright lights. Push the bright lights. Right. Um, but I'm looking for her book in my Kindle because I've referred to it here lately because we've been playing with my sleep pattern to, mm -hmm. and how it affects my pain level. Um, and basically, you know, my functionality. Um, but I can't listen to it if you're asleep because you have problems with that. Well, you know, I do. I do like my my sleep has always been like like my sleep conditioning mm -hmm. was to a very quiet household right um like in the dark like no noise or you know just a, as little as possible right you know maybe some like street noise or or like city noise right um, so to speak, not that I live, grew up in a big city, but you know, a little bit of city noise. Well, yeah. Um, she, Ariana Huffington reads it. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the book that you searched the house for one of our baristas at. I did. I did. I did search the house for my sister because lo and behold, apparently through, through the wall of another room on a, you know, uh, um, echo dot. Um, Ariana Huffington and my sister sound a lot alike. Yeah. And it was very confusing. Yeah, but it's called The Sleep Reser Re Revolution. It covers all the sciences of sleep. She has a new book out called Thrive. I've not gotten it yet. I will probably get it because I like Sleep Revolution. She's a really good author. Mm -hmm. Yes, I live in, I, I use a lot of headphones. I wear a lot of headphones um, in my office for multiple reasons. Yep, but not in bed. No, not in bed. And I don't listen to music in bed anymore. All right, so you got tech in the news. Oh, I got tech in the news. Yes. On a so, yeah, Microsoft Flight. Pardon? On a story we've been following. Oh, yeah. So Microsoft quietly supported legislation to make it easier to fix devices. Here's why that's a big deal. 
So, uh, and major tech companies have long opposed the right to repair, but Microsoft is finally engaging with lawmakers and activists. So in March, Irene Plenifish, a senior director of government affairs at Microsoft, sent an email to the eight members of the Washington State Senate's Environment, Energy, and Technology Committee, which was about to hold a hearing to discuss a bill intended to facilitate the repair of consumer electronics. Typically, when consumer tech companies reach out to lawmakers concerning right to repair bills, which seek to make it easier for people to fix their devices, thus saving money and reducing electronic waste, it's because they want them killed. Plentifish, however, wanted the committee to know that Microsoft, which is headquartered in Redmond, Washington, was on board with this one, which had already passed the Washington House. Um, quote, I'm writing to state Microsoft support for E2SHB 1392, also known as the Fair Repair Act, Plentifish wrote in an email to the committee. This bill fairly balances the interests of manufacturers, customers, and independent repair shops, and in doing so, will provide more options for consumer device repair. The Fair Repair Act stalled out a week later due to oppositions from all three Republicans on the committee and Senator Lisa Wellman, a Democrat and former Apple executive. Apple frequently lobbies against right-to-repair bills, and during a hearing, Wellman defended the iPhone maker's position that it is already doing enough on repair. But despite the bill's failure to launch this year, repair advocates say Microsoft support, a notable first for a major U.S. tech company, is bringing other manufacturers to the table to negotiate the details of other right-to-repair bills for the first time. We are in the middle of more conversations with manufacturers being way more cooperative than before. Nathan Proctor, who heads the U.S. Public Research Interest Group Right to Repair campaign, told Grist. And I think Microsoft's leadership and willingness to be first created that opportunity. Um, so across a wide range of sectors, from consumer electronics to farm equipment, manufacturers attempt to monopolize repair of their devices by restricting access to spare parts, repair tools, and technical documentation. While manufacturers often claim that controlling the repair process limits cybersecurity and safety risks, they also financially benefit when consumers are forced to take their devices back to the manufacturer or upgrade due to limited repair options. Right to repair bills would compel manufacturers to make spare parts and information available to everyone. Proponents argue that making repair more accessible will allow consumers to use older products for longer, saving them money and reducing the environmental impact of technology, including both electronic waste and the carbon emissions associated with manufacturing new products. But despite dozens of state legislatures taking up right to repair bills in recent years, very few of those bills have passed due to staunch opposition from device, uh, device makers and the trade associations representing them. New York State passed the first electronics right to repair law in the country last year, but before the governor signed it, tech lobbyists convinced her to water it down through a series of revisions. Like other consumer tech giants, Microsoft has historically fought right to repair bills while restricting access to spare parts, tools, and repair documentation to its network of authorized repair partners. In 2019, the company even helped kill a repair bill in Washington state. But in recent years, the company has started changing its tune on the issue. In 2021, following pressure from shareholders, Microsoft agreed to take steps to facilitate the repair of its devices, 
a first for a U.S. company. Microsoft followed through on the agreement by expanding access to spare parts and service tools, including through a partnership with the repair guide site, iFixit. The tech giant also commissioned a study that found repairing Microsoft products instead of replacing them can dramatically reduce both waste and carbon emissions. So I, I know where the rest of this article is going to go, and it's going to get a little more detailed. Um, quite frankly, here's the deal. So right to repair, um, and we mostly talk about this in terms of computers and cell phones and other electronic devices. It really is important to note, however, the um, definition of a computer um, has changed a lot from a personal electronics device um, that, that you would set up in a home to send email, play games, do expense reports, you know, your, your PC ad of the 90s, um, to also include our vehicles, mm -hmm. to also include um, any number of small consumer electronics that are now computer operated or have com uh, electronic computer components built into them versus being purely mechanical or, or so to speak, analog. These are now digital devices um, and it does present a, a large problem that we keep, and many manufacturers keep talking about this in terms of like repairing your home computer or just repairing your cell phone. We're now even talking about your ability as a farmer right. to repair your tractor. Right. Because it is covered under a uh, license agreement. Like effectively, you don't buy the tractor, you buy the right to use the tractor. Mm -hmm. is the big argument that companies like John Deere are making right. and that they can literally disable your tractor <clears throat> if you attempt to modify it in any way right? Um, or if you attempt to repair it without taking it to an authorized repair center. Um, now, all this would sound great because um, you hear the words authorized repair center and for many, for many years, that meant that this is someone who knew what they were doing. Right. Unfortunately, um, what that morphed into wasn't just the ability to, like an exclusive agreement to be able to access parts after demonstrating the ability. Right. It more so became a very controlling document um, and partnership for companies to become an authorized repairer. Right. So part of what that agreement can often uh, include is actually denying the ability to repair a device based on whatever whim a company has. So if you're an Apple authorized um, um, repair shop, um, if you're an iCare authorized repair, um, you can literally be limited to not being able to replace a screen because the device is a couple of years old. Mm -hmm. You can literally be denied access to parts. You can be threatened with loss of your um, status as an authorized repair for using unauthorized parts, as in those not directly purchased through that agreement. 
Um, so it very much locks many of those shops into only being able to fix devices that the uh, company says they can fix only with the parts that they can buy from them, mm -hmm. which often increases the cost of repair, mm -hmm. um, and then controls what situations are deemed repairable. Right. Um, now, companies argue that this is for, you know, Apple especially um, has been pretty egregious in the right to repair situation. Um, that's why I find it interesting that Washington um, has someone from Apple on their board. Right. Um, or, or chairing that committee, um, though it makes sense in a, in a different sense. Right. Um, because Apple has been a particularly aggressive in it, doing things to prevent repair right to make it hard to get a hold of parts such as if you have remanufactured components right that have left the us and are imported back in apple will actually claim not that the parts are counterfeit but through counterfeit legislation, they will actually block the import of those products because each of those products is stamped with an Apple logo. Mm -hmm. And they make the argument that they are not new mm -hmm. and therefore they are counterfeit. Right. Because they're not, you know, ordered by Apple from Apple for Apple. Right to be used by Apple. Right. Well, this is what it always has gotten me, and we're seeing more of this now of dealerships having dealership-only parts. wonder mm -hmm. if this law would affect this. Um, there, There's a strong argument that it can. Okay. Um, now, car manufacturers, again, are falling into the same scenario. Much of our right. cars are now computer-based. We have a lot fewer mechanical parts. Right that are directly mechanical right. um as in long gone are the days of the the carburetor we now use computer controlled fuel injection right. for instance um you know uh, newer transmissions are a host of sensors to make that transmission work none of these are directly mechanical systems right. um and yes, a lot of vehicle manufacturers are uh, very hesitant mm -hmm. um, in their arrangements with dealerships right. um, to do anything that would prevent a repair through the dealership. Right. So they're, they're very encouraging. Right. Um, uh, of, you know, these dealerships making money through their service departments by only selling some parts mm -hmm. directly to dealerships and good luck right. on getting at least new parts or non-remanufactured or, or, you know, uh, direct from the, the, uh, manufacturer parts. Right. You have to look yeah, aftermarket $40,000 for a vehicle. And mm -hmm. you technically don't own it. No, and that's a big part of right to repair and computers mm -hmm. is this extension of the idea of you don't own the vehicle, you own a license to use the vehicle that is revocable. Mm -hmm. 
Tesla's gotten in major trouble for this. Right. Um, at least with their uh, consumer market mm -hmm. um, for being one of the first to actually lock owners out of their vehicle and mm -hmm. make it undrivable. Right. And can occur in situations as simple as you like taking multiple crash Teslas mm -hmm. and, you know, creating a, a, a parts bucket special mm -hmm. of non-related components to build right. a working vehicle. Right. So, you know, the battery from one car, the, the motor from another, the seats from another, this, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, Tesla will sit there and potentially invalidate your car. Right. They will refuse you the right to charge it. Mm -hmm. They will refuse you the ability to drive it. Right. They will refuse the ability for you to boot the computer system. Mm -hmm. They will literally lock you out of that vehicle uh -huh. because it is a violation of their terms of service. Right. Which is ridiculous. It's, which is mentally one of those things. It's like, how much longer until we get to the point right. that this is completely part of our normal idea Right. Um, because we already have Tesla getting away with it. Right. Um, how long till this becomes mainstream? Well, that's how long till the computers get to the point they can literally disable your computer and, and this is deemed normal. Right. Or disable your car and this is normal. Mm -hmm. um, now, in other areas, uh, part of right to repair um, is also becoming very um, intrigued. Mm -hmm. um, with um, like TV manufacturers, one in particular, mm -hmm. and I believe that's Sony or Samsung, I can't not remember which, actually has programmed in a kill switch. Mm -hmm. um, so here's what happens. If you ever, because we've grown into the age of the network uh, attached television, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your TV is a smart TV and it attaches to a Wi-Fi or wired network to get data for, you know, streaming services. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now part of that operating system, um, the a company can, mm -hmm. um, at least one can institute a kill switch in their code. Mm -hmm. So if this television is ever connected to a network, which quite frankly, if you have a smart TV, it's, it's rare to use it without doing so. Um, it automatically connects to a database. Mm -hmm. And if it finds itself in that database, it runs a kill procedure, which completely destroys the television, not in a blows up and splatters components all over your living room, but it will never turn on and work again. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a um, break and we'll be right back and we'll just find out if you're an asshole. All right. Hey, everybody. Lady Gwendolyn here from Rowan Temple of Light. And I'm here to tell you about our events this summer. First up is Beltane in the Hills. May 13th, and that is from 1 to 6. We have entertainment. We have a, a bunch of vendors. We have a fairy photo shoot. It's going to be exciting. If you have any questions, uh, reach out to Earth Magic or to myself. 
Um, after that, we have uh, Central West Virginia Pagan Pride, August 19th. That's at Holly Gray Park from 11 to 5 for the day. And we will have Sarah Masters coming down from Pittsburgh to be our keynote speaker. We have some great classes for that. So, if you want to get involved, reach out to Rowan Temple of Light at Gmail or just follow us along on Facebook at Rowan Temple of Light. And we look forward to seeing you out in the community. See you there. Welcome back, Goblins. My name is Jason, and I am the host of the Esoteric Book Club, a podcast that examines titles on the magical, paranormal, the mysterious, and the strange. I release two episodes a month in which I review books on esoteric topics, recap news of the weird, and conduct interviews with authors, practitioners, and experiencers. The Esoteric Book Club can be found on every major podcast service or can be streamed directly from esotericbookclub.org. Hi, I'm Ace and Knight. I provide tarot readings covering everything from love and relationships to your life questions and your most spiritual answers. And also, I provide a lot of guidance and finances and divorces and all those relationship problems. So, if you'd like to get a reading from me privately, not on air, you can feel free to do so by visiting aceandnight.com and booking your appointment. I also provide on-demand services, so if your life is a little chaotic, you can go ahead and click that call now button there on my site. It'll connect you to Keen, and if you've not been with Keen before, you'll get three free minutes to talk with me, so that's great for a quick answer question. All right, guys, back to the show. Enjoy. Bye, y'all. Hi, I'm Tracy Van. I provide a blended reading consisting of mediumship, psychic, and tarot cards. A reading from me can cover any guidance you need from relationships with your partner or your family, spiritual, financial, any questions you may need clarity on. If you would like to book an appointment with me, check out my website, tracyvan.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y. B-A-N-N.com. I have bookings from 15 to 60 minutes you may choose from. That helps if you just have a quick question, need an answer, or if you're looking for a reading in more depth, I'm here to provide the guidance and clarity for you. Uh, let's just figure it out. Bye. All right. Welcome back. Okay. Plead your case. Am I the asshole for charging someone more than usual for cupcakes and saying I'm not running a charity? I, 26, have a small business baking cakes and cupcakes. It's not my primary job. My customers are mostly family and friends, but it's something I'm good at and enjoy doing. It depends on, on the size, but since I can't do commercial quantities, my time frame to place orders is at least two weeks in advance. So a couple of weeks ago, a mutual friend, Liv, 29, reached out asking if I could make some cupcakes for her daughter's third birthday. She gave an outline of what she wanted, and it's something I can do. So I said, sure. Difference is, she wanted them in a week. Liv said there's a lot going on for her right now, and she decided to give her daughter a surprise and doesn't have time to make cupcakes too, so the late, so the late order. 
I had spare time that week, so I said I could make them. The cost I gave her was more than what I'd normally charge. But Liv started saying how it's too much and, if I, uh, and asked if I could bring it down. I said no, because this is a late order. She made some excuse about how she understands that and she's happy to pay more, but not this much. Liv kept insisting, so I got kind of annoyed and told her I'm not running a charity. She can afford it. If she can't, she doesn't have to order them from me. Liz gave a pretty snarky reply to that, got pissed, didn't end up placing an order. I then saw from a friend's Instagram, she made some posts on her stories, which I'll admit irked me. I do have a couple people telling me I was way upcharging and was rude to her in my replies. I don't think I was. So am I the asshole? No, that's your policy. I... Here's the thing, though. I, I think there's always a balance between trying to to tell a customer no mm-hmm. and standing firm on price and, and being, you know, not letting a customer show up late mm-hmm. and then ask for a discount. Right. Because, one, let, let's just cover in terms of small business. That's rude. Right. This is really rude right. um, to expect to show up outside of you know parameter right and then to also get a discount for it right or, or to pay normal price for it right yeah. good cheap uh good cheap and fast um you only get two right so good and fast not cheap and fast right and this is one that i face a good bit of time mm-hmm. you know one my appointments range and are very tight. I have two sets of appointment books running. One is over on Modern Spiritual and it's dedicated times of Modern Spiritual. One is my private work and it's dedicated over there. There's a definite upcharge because there's more, you know, uh, there's more fees and stuff that I have to pay over on Modern Spiritual. Mm-hmm. But if you look at that, my rate comparative to like my on-demand rate, it's mm-hmm. a way out, you know, there's a cheaper rate for booking an appointment with me. Mm-hmm. And if you book it on my site, aceandnight.com, and you book it in advance because you have to book within three hours, mm-hmm. it is the cheaper option than on demand. Right. Or, you know, going to Modern Spiritual and booking there. But if you look at my network prices, they're what the networks charge. Yeah, you're getting, you, you when he's on network and you're paying for on demand. Mm-hmm. You're also paying a premium for the service mm-hmm. that runs that network, right? Because they take a sizable chunk, right, of that per minute that you would otherwise think that he makes. Like they, they, a good chunk, right? Um, Our and business runs oh, on a two month, two week in advance order. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. She's well, making a business decision that, yeah, I can do that order, but I'm it's going to take up some time. It's out of my policy time. This is the this is what that time was dedicated to. Like, let's say it was dedicated to her going to her son's soccer game. Well, what's the cost of that? Well, or even if it's just sitting on her couch. Right. Um, because part of running and especially running a business secondary, like this is a side hustle. Right. Um, and, and part of the 
running a side hustle right. is that requires some balance of work, your full-time job right, and your general life. And when you cannot, you know, get the time you need to prep for that, right. it has a cost. It has right. value to sit there and go, well, I had planned to do this, mm -hmm. but instead I'm going to be doing this. Right. You know, I have to rearrange this on short notice. Right. You know, I have to get, you know, a babysitter. I have to, you know, eat out that night. I have to do something. Right. Potentially. Right. Or I simply lose the ability to enjoy my time. Right. On last minute notice. Right. That has value. Right. Don't and keep yourself on that. Order. Um. Normally she charges forty five. She quoted eighty five. And baking takes a lot. Like if, especially if you're doing that, you know, if you're processing your own fondant, you're processing your own colors, you're processing all that. That's additional yeah. time. Well, yeah, but it's worth like up charges to all that. So she quoted eighty five. She quoted eighty five, and she normally charges forty five. She she right. doubled the price. Right, and there's the time. And there, it's worth noting those prices are in Canadian dollars. Right. So her normal price is forty-five Canadian, which I think would be probably like twenty-three U.S. Um, and she upcharged it to eighty-five Canadian, which will probably be about eighty-four U.S. Or excuse me, uh, forty-four U.S. Um, thirty-three U.S. Uh huh. And she upped it to sixty-two U.S. Yeah, yeah. I think that's reasonable. Um, depending upon the size of the order, right? Like, you know, if, if you're talking about like twelve little cupcakes, that 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 would hurt. Unless you're talking about some of the cupcake cakes. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, girl, you cheap. Well, she wanted twelve cupcakes for the type she wanted as an as an unusual order. With my time frame, it would have been, uh, you know, if she had done it into the two week block, so she had time to make the products to let them go through. Um, she went for eighty five. Okay. Yeah, I love digging in and looking at why she made this decision. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and I think for any business, you're, you're worth what you're worth. And, you know, if if you have the ability. Right. And I'm not saying just take advantage of people. I'm saying if you have the ability to do something special and extra and go right. an extra mile, no, there's there's a fair expectation that you know right. I'm helping you out of a bind, right? Like yeah. you waited to the last minute. Good luck, right? You know, <laughs> that's. I mean, on, on some level, that that's like the the bridezilla that shows up a you know a week before the wedding, wanting you know a, a five tier handmade cake, right? With with all the trimmings and extras. Right. And wants it by you know Friday, right? And it's like you know, are you crazy? Right. You you can't even begin to get that. Right. I just wonder. Like that's cute. 
Like I just wonder. Um, what is it? American Baker. Okay. Big boss. Like that's one of those things about weddings. Of, uh, I find interesting is that like some of the support services. When you start digging into it, like you cannot plan a wedding in in a in a couple of weeks, right? Like, no, you cannot throw a a, a full on wedding in a right. couple of weeks. You have unless you want to pay some money, a lot of money, because right. you have to pull people from other things. Right. Like they have to cancel contracts or you know move people out of venues, do something right. to accommodate. Well, you, we all know um, the cake balls. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking to see how much his cakes are. And what their lead time is. Right. Well, now let's see if we can compare apples and, or, uh, apples, and apples. Do they do just straight cupcakes? Yes, they do a vanilla cupcake 18-pack. So an 18 factor, just straight vanilla cupcakes, nothing special. There's just icing and all that is $40. Okay. So that's not even a special order. That's right. just a regular order. And right. what's their lead time? Um, their lead time is Monday through Friday of each week. They're saying that I could have it by the fifth if I order in the next five minutes. Now. They have a staff. They have a staff. That's a commercial bakery. They full-time bake. Right. And it's still a few days lead right. time. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect someone doing, you know, working their business as a side hustle to need additional time. Yeah, they're not in a commercial kitchen. It's not being flown into you. Um, and it's $19 extra. Yeah. That's not a severe upcharge. Like, so, take my 20 bucks, please. Yeah, it's 20 for national shipping. It's shipping delay. We are we do not offer refunds for shipping delays due to our shipping partner due to weather, mechanical error, national disaster, blah, blah, blah. Uh, order so, ch change request. They do not make order change requests. Okay. Even if you go to their store, mm -hmm. you're looking at an $85 order Basically. with everything. Mm hmm. And this is a straight vanilla cupcake with vanilla icing and sprinkles. Ooh. Okay, this is not the specialty order they, that she wanted. Right. Like, there's no customization of it. This is your basics. Yeah, this is the turning out 300 of them at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So the poll is up on Ace and, Night, uh, Ace and Night's YouTube. Feel free to vote. Who's the asshole here? All right. 
is OP the asshole or is the person the asshole? Okay. So let's head over for relationship advice. All right. So anxiety about the transition from the honeymoon phase in a long-term relationship. 18 female, 19 male. Hey, I've been in a relationship for three years now, and I'm seeking some guidance from others in a long-term relationship. My boyfriend and I had a pretty long honeymoon phase. I love him with all my heart, then and now, and he's my absolute best friend. We built a super healthy relationship, which definitely took some work. I am a very anxious person, and I recently noticed that our honeymoon phase is over. I no longer have crazy and intense butterflies. I don't miss him every second like I used to, and other stuff like that. I'm super comfortable with him now. He's my safe place and my partner, but this has been making me overthink. Like, what if this isn't how it's supposed to be? What if it's not okay that I'm feeling this way? What if our love slash spark is just dead? This transition has caused me a lot of heartache because I think I may be overthinking it. I keep feeling like I have to break up with him because I'm no longer feeling the way I used to. The fear of breaking up is still very real, though, and I really don't want that at all. But I was wondering if this anxiety is something that is normal or if this speaks to something much more troubling. Has anyone else experienced this anxiety? And if yes, how did you know it was just anxiety? and not a sign you were in the wrong relationship. How did you manage it? I would also like to add that I have communicated my feelings with my boyfriend and he's been totally understanding and supportive. His reassurance has helped to some extent, but for some reason, I cannot shake this anxiety. Well, relationship feelings in general. This honeymoon phase is cute. It happens in every relationship, but then you have to get into the work of building the relationship, of communicating, of going deeper. But what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a term she needs to learn Uh called new relationship energy. And you had a very long version of that. Uh Um, And you're calling it a honeymoon phase. Um, And and that wanes. And that's normal. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean you're in a bad relationship or the wrong relationship or that you need to change relationships unless you truly cannot stand being out of new uh, NRE. Um, It does mean that this is the next phase of your relationship Mm -hmm. and that, no, you're you're not going to have all those little butterflies and all those little feelings Mm -hmm. that you used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, that's a good thing. Right. Um, mostly because while you're having anxiety now, mm-hmm. um, some of that was also anxiety that you were having before masking as, you know, intense feeling. Right. Um, because those are typically also associated with, you know, fear of loss of the relationship. Right. You, you 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 weren't yet comfortable enough to for the butterflies to go away. You right. weren't yet comfortable enough to not be okay that he's going to come back. Right. Um, you know, so now you're in the next phase of your relationship that, you know, no, you you don't have those things going on. You you are comfortable. You are you are dead on right. You are very comfortable. Right. Um and that's a good thing. Yeah. 
And that's a normal thing. And love wanes. You know, that's why it's important that you at least have a friendship with the person. Because there will be times that you will be head over heels and he's just the most amazing person in the world. And then there are days that you just want to murder him. Like, oh, I, you, 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 you wake up and he's got drool on the side of his face and his cute little behaviors of yesteryear. Now annoy the living fuck out of you. Mm-hmm. Like throwing clothes all over the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And he's aggravated you the past three days over some bullshit to do with nothing you can change. And you want to murder him. Mm-hmm. That means you still love him. Well, yeah, that's a different kind of intensity of emotion. Um, and one need not be afraid necessarily uh-huh. of wanting to kill your partner. Um, this is fairly normal. We, yeah. we all have that that momentary impulse of feeling that it's like, I could strangle him. I could just strangle him. I, I could pick him up off the floor and strangle him. Um, and, and that is a level of anger that you can go to in a relationship. It happens frequently. And God knows, watch a movie. Or Any movie doesn't matter. A movie, long-term couple of 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 uh, you know a certain point mm-hmm. hits that point, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's also becomes the point in which it, you become safe arguing mm-hmm. with your partner because you're right. not being on the eggshells of this could all evaporate tomorrow if you say the wrong thing. Right. That's part of that comfortability as well. Right. Your danger sign in you want to kill your spouse right. is not the the desire right um it, it's when you move from that being a one-off thought mm-hmm. related to an, a, a thing and becomes a place that you live right and start to want to make plans to make happen right now that that is a sign of a toxic or problematic relationship that needs to end not with you know, gunfire and poisoning and anything else. Well, Ben Oladonna and some whiskey. Well, you know, there's that. Um, but no, that that's the point where you you need to recognize that you are moving from situational anger mm-hmm. to being angry with a person and their existence. Right. Um, being angry at a person's existence is a big giant red flag and means please stop. Right. Angry with what someone did, but able and willing to forgive after a cooling off period. Right. That's normal. Right. All right. Well, you have a review to give before the baristas show up. Oh, I have a review. What's my review? On Practical Magic. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we did watch Practical Magic. Um, it, it was a good movie. We had a fun, funny moment, though, in it. Is I swore up a, uh, and down Aunt Lydia was in it. Uh-huh. Those of you who watch Handmaid's Tale, I swore up and down that had to be her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Margot Martindale, the actress, I do have to apologize to, but y'all got to admit, they look oddly similar. Right. And dowd Margot Martindale, you look it up, see what you think. Um, but no, the movie w- was good. 
Um, I did think that the ending was a little bit bed knobs and broomsticks slash, um, um, well, yeah, bed knobs and broomsticks is good enough. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a little cheesy on the ending. It's a little cheese on the end. Yeah, I'll be right um, back. Okay. But no, we did get to watch it. It, it was a good movie. Um, it was a very funny movie. Um, it was kind of interesting watching it. And here's my thing. I, 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 Sandra Bullock is one of those actresses I don't always appreciate in movies. Um, this was an appreciable role. Like it, it paired some of her humor with, um, her ability to be serious. Um, which I think a fair number of roles that she's had didn't have. Right. They asked her to be one or the other. Like either be the stupid bimbo or be the you know you know smart sophisticate, mm -hmm. and she needs both. Right. Like she's just not one of those actresses that can sit still for a whole movie, and God forbid you ask her to be funny for a whole movie because she can't do just one. Right. So, what's you your favorite moment in the movie? Oh, my favorite moment in the movie. Uh huh. I think it was when the aunts left and said, clean up your own mess. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I like I, I like that. Okay. Very so. cool. Um, yeah, I like that moment, but I also love the moment where she's, I believe, writing in her journal and the cup and the coffee or tea probably is stirring itself and she's not even paying attention. She's complaining about the aunts teaching her children magic. Well, yes, and then she does that again at uh, the store she runs in front of the officer. Yeah. And kind of has to quickly play it off as, like, I don't know what that was. You know? Uh -huh. <laughs> like, make it stop. Like, didn't realize I was doing that in public again. Uh-huh. Yep. So, so, yeah. Follow-up question to this is, what jokes do you now get? Um, well, definitely the Belladonna and, and Whiskey. Uh-huh. Um... I think that's the biggest one. The rose bushes, I guess. Okay. That makes more sense in in you know hindsight. Um I think that's about it. Okay. Very cool, very cool. Um so you know, would you watch two? Would they come out with this with a two? Actually, no. Okay. It's been too long. Okay. Ninety eight to twenty twenty three or later. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pushing it. That is pushing it, and I would be really afraid it's just going to be like a really bad reboot. Uh huh. Um, trying to capitalize on the if if it were to occur would be a really bad reboot attempting to capitalize on the original, right? And it's it's pro either that or it's going to be a remake. Okay. As in same movie, same title, same everything, different actresses. Probably Sandra Bullock playing uh, the the dark haired aunt. Um, and it's it's gonna it would be one of those movies that's like. Mm, one was good, two was bad. 
Because there's been talk of Practical Magic 2 for a while now. Yeah, and I think, um, unfortunately, with some movies, like, you either have to piss or get off the pot. You got to make it or you got to give it up. Right. And and this far out, right. 25 years later, right. I mean, very few movies pull off a 25-year gap. Right. Between you know movies, the I think the only franchise that successfully done it, um, or got approached that line, uh-huh. um, I think would have to be um. Let me see. I want to double check myself. Um, because I want to see how far the gap is. Um. Well, there was 1989 to 2016 um, for Ghostbusters, and then the 2021 Ghostbusters Afterlife, Mm -hmm. um, which was another five years later. Um, So, yeah, 27 years between Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters, which if I remember right, Ghostbusters, wasn't that basically an animated remake? Or am I wrong? Like, oh no, that wasn't an animated remake, but no, okay, yeah. So, I'm just curious what's our IMDb rating on the 2016 movie? Because I feel like it's going to be with me. I think that was why everyone was so like, "Mm, how's Afterlife going to turn out? Um, because I think that was the movie they had a lot of problems getting any of the original actors to have anything to do with it, and it's an all-female remake. Right. Or predominantly. Um, what is... Well, 6.8 out of 10 isn't horrific. Um, what's its Rotten Tomatoes score as well? Because that's usually a good one to look at. I'm not saying Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb should be your, like, all be it. All right. You know, be all end all, like, if you watch a movie or not. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, sometimes, like, ooh, ouch. So, Tomato Meter is 73% fresh, and audience score is 49%. Hmm. For the 2016 Ghostbusters. Um, I didn't even see it. Right. I don't know if I and saw it. Really, yeah, and really, Ghostbusters Afterlife basically picked up from the 1989 movie. Right. Basically. Um, like, so even the franchise skipped itself mm-hmm. and was like, mm, we're not really going to. Right. Do anything there because the rules of magic is the second book in the series. Uh huh. And I looked at complete, you know, completing that cycle and taking on the sixteen-year-old daughter that's like eight-year-old or whatever, and finding the basis of the curse and all that. So I don't know. I think I would just see it. Now here's the harder question for you: In all the magic you saw in there, which one thing you wish I I had the skill of? Well, I mean, we could save a lot of uh, money on milk frothing if you could do that spoon thing, but, you know. Uh Uh-huh. Like, kind of there for that one. Okay. Just saying. You wouldn't want to hear me from a mile away? No. 
No. Most people can hear you from a mile away. I know. Without a problem. <sighs> I know, right? Like, if you've been to an Ace and Night event, not all of it uh, were his batteries uh, fresh for the bullhorn, so you have heard him for up to a mile away on natural. Yes. Um, there are some people I can track up to a mile away. Like, I know they're in the fucking area because I smell them. <sighs> all right. So, no, you are not the asshole for charging extra for a rush order. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, I can't really, you're the asshole of that one. It's like, no, it's worth what it's worth to you. If it's not worth it to you, find someone else. Right, but also... Or go to Walmart. Yeah, Walmart produces cupcakes, and yeah, they don't have the special fondant. They may not be in your daughter's colors at the party, and mm -hmm. they're fucking cupcakes. Does anyone care? <laughs> oh, eat them. They taste good. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Well, and sometimes it also depends upon the age of the kid. I really have problems, and I have to say this from a third party perspective. And I've brought this up to other, you know, parents, especially one that was a friend of mine that started panicking about her two year old's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, you know, having financially a really rough year and they were trying to do this big party and it was going to completely exhaust them financially. And I'm sitting here going, your child is two. Mm -hmm. Um, let's be fair, they're probably not going to remember the party at all. Right. If they do, it's going to be very minimal. Right. They're going to remember if they had fun and had a good day and had cake and got a toy. Right. That's most of what they're going to care about. Right. Um, and at two, you really don't have a good concept of what things cost and what things are worth. And quite frankly, your two-year-old mm -hmm. would rather you not be stressed out and having a good time right. than they would to, you know, go through this great big Chuck E. Cheese, because I think that was the venue they were trying to get and do, that was going to cost them a whole lot of money, um, than to have that and it completely stress you out and you be just beside yourself and freaked out and struggling no like go cheap they're two get over it right do the thing like i don't consider like young kids discerning enough well okay what is your earliest age of memory oh okay now see here's where i go with this do you want to talk about my absolute earliest memory? Right. I want to say age four. Well, it probably there's there's a couple before that, but like a real full memory. Right. That that has context and understanding is probably age four. Um, I'm I I go to at least five for like really like more than a few right like five starts like there's a lot more right um so four there's there's a few that are of quality and and substance and then before that there's a couple just a few 
right. of, you know, and that are more flashy. Like I didn't really under, I like as an adult, I can look back and hearing stories about the event, I can tell you what was going on. But if I were to just base it on what I remember, no. Right. I got nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mm-hmm. think my earliest memory is around three and a half, four. Like, yeah. And that's fairly normal. Like, that progression. Right. right. From, yeah. like, you remember an event and its circumstances and what all was going on to a degree. Right. And then you have, like, the flashy stuff before that. Right. Then it's, there's not a lot of them. Right. Um, usually it's big things that, right. that stick. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Like, I can give an example. Yeah, and I can take and a it's, comment. Okay. Most, <laughs> Most kids, kids don't care it's sugar and cake. This is what I'm saying with little kids are not discerning. Right. Like they're not connoisseurs of of gourmet, right? Um, they're kids. Right. Like, don't try to make them connoisseurs of gourmet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's the thing you grow into. You have to eat some crap, right? Um, before you get there, right? Um. Oh, so actually, I want to download that. Actually, oh, don't delete it. That was almost bad oh the joys of trying to multitask right i am bad at it um so yes for those of you who have wondered what a baby joe looked like and we will be sharing that okay um, so share screen window, and here we go. So this is a baby Joe having mm-hmm. a birthday party. Mm-hmm. I know where we're at. Okay. I don't remember that from the memory. I just know where we're at. Uh-huh. Um, and I, let me see if I zoom it back down, if I can tell which birthday candle that is. I want to say that's three. Uh, that's uh, probably three, maybe two or four. Four. That's a four. Okay. All right. I don't remember this. Yeah. I don't. I got nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. I know where we're at. I'm sure that is a chocolate cake. My mother was predictable, if nothing else. I'm sure the candle lived at our uh, at the lake because this this was at a lake. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, long story short, had property. It was it, it was it, it is a lot less impressive than it sounds. Believe me. Right. Um, and no, I, I don't remember this party. It looks like I had a good time. Right. <laughs> like that's yeah. it. That's all I got for you. Right. I don't remember it. I had a sugary cake, and I probably got some toys. I'd say that's probably the year I got the Tonka trucks. Yay! I don't remember getting them. Did you get the plastic or the metal? Metal. Awesome. Good parents. Old school metal. 
Yes. But yeah, like, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's how that is. That's where that is. Um, and, you know, it's like, spend $500 on a party, spend $24 on a party. Spend $24 on the party, take the other $486, stick that in a savings account for for, 14 years. You have your college fund. Well, pretty much. I mean, and if you can't do that, don't feel bad. You know, put $20 in a savings account. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a start. It's something. But more importantly, don't get obsessed with the idea that, that... a little kid is is going to totally remember this, and it's if you do it wrong, they're going to be scarred for their life. Right. They're two. Right. They're three. They're four. Like it's really hard. You have to do some pretty horrible things. Right. To scar a kid for life. Right. Between you know before like age ten. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard. It's really hard. Right. And see, people do not like it that I don't buy children gifts. If I buy them anything, it's going to be a savings bond. Why? Because in two weeks, they will not remember the gift if it is not broken. Because, you know, we buy our you know, children get cheap shit from China. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really pay into their future. Whereas a $20 savings bond bought now, by the time they're 20, is worth a lot more. Mm, not necessarily savings bonds. I will point that out. My grandparents did the savings bond thing back when it made sense. Mm-hmm. Always check your rates. Yeah. Not all of those are, are that impressive. Right. Like, well, comparatively. But I'm saying, could, like, you know, giving a kid something that they'll have because when they're not going to remember a toy. Right that they can have in like 5, 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. um, does have a lot more value and those can stack up and become quite useful. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you're going to pay anyone's education by getting them 18 years worth of $20 savings bonds. Right. But. But. It's something. All right. Let's do some math here. Okay. Let's go up to age 10. Let's do some calculations on holidays. You have their birthday, plus their Christmas, plus their Easter. Um, So birthday, Easter, Christmas. Okay. When do kids also normally get gifts? Christening. Well, that's a one-off. That's a one-off. So, and then, so that's three times ten. Hell, Halloween, Valentine's Day. My grandmother used to stick $10 in a card. All right. So five holidays a year. Right. Times, so $100 a year. Mm-hmm. Times um, 10 years. Yeah, it's $1,000. Times That is um, $18,049 if you ca- if you do that, if they cash them in at that 10-year mark. Okay, not bad. 
wait, we did something wrong there. Mm -hmm. So, all right, $100 a year times 10 years times 0, 0.0, or excuse me, 1.043. It's a little lower. It's $1,043. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, it's not the greatest. All the 20, the lowest, the double E series is 25. Okay. So we have to recalculate that. Oh. So five times 25 equals $125 times 10 years and 4.30%. Four, uh, 4.3%? Yep. Yeah, that's $1,303. Right. $1,250 of purchasing to $1,303. Right. Oh, yeah, most, uh, at most, uh, uh, asked to try to charge a cashing fee to liquidate the bond, too. Right. So there's that. Um, so realistically, but that's 12. So even if you get zeroed out on any interest you earn, mm -hmm. it's still $1,250 you didn't have. Yeah. It's $1,250. Right. I mean, uh, that's not going to buy anyone a house or a right. car or, a, a, you know, but it will be something. <clears throat> that's books. That is, you know, a mm -hmm. decent, you know, well, you know, a down payment. That's books. That's yeah. a laptop. That's a cell phone. That's, yeah. I mean, assuming current prices, if like someone started this, you know, right back then, right. Um, yeah, no, it's something, right? Like, yeah, it's it's not, you know, it's money. Yeah, it helps. So yeah, yeah, it's a class. Yeah, like if you want to skip traditional college education, that's that's a class, right? To do something. Yeah, that's a class. That's you know, the deposit on the first apartment instead uh -huh. of a toy. They're not going to remember. Yeah, because like, and especially if you're talking about like vocational technical. Mm -hmm. Like if someone wants to start their own business, right? Um, I just want to see, right? In West Virginia, if someone did that, so Fayette Institute of Technology, yep, would that be right? That's your Votech, yep. Okay, so their website, um, adult. Let's see, adult programs. Mm -hmm. Um, adult education. Um, and it tells me, oh, there we go. No, maybe. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. come on. Special topic classes. I was just looking to see if they had like an accounting course and a, you know, basic business and. Yeah, their website's kind of annoying. Well, I've gone over to Act. Okay, thank you. Um, 
I'm just looking at my LPN. Oh, well, there you go. And that's, that's $6,000. It's what now? $6,000 and it's a one-year program. Okay, so that's one-sixth you already have in the bank. Right. To do that program. Right. I Not think you can cough up some, you know, scholarships and, you know, financial aids and, right. you know, stuff to cover the rest. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah. Just saying. You can get some places with that. Not a lot of places, not a full Harvard education. Well, no. But you can get some places with that. Right. You know, maybe start a small business that pays for the Harvard education. Right. You know, turn 18, start a side hustle, you know, help travel. Yeah. Do, do take a backpack week. Yeah. So, you know, those are things to think about in general. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. We hope you've enjoyed the Psychic Call Shop. Yes, we are tuning into more psychic news and less political news because it's a damn landslide out there and we're getting enough after that. You know? All right. So we do want to take a moment and thank our baristas. Our baristas are amazing. They are. And we also want to take a moment um, to talk about our Patreon. Yes. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested in joining our Patreon, and we would love your sponsorship, we have memberships at $1.5 and $10 a month. And each of those come with an end of video thank you during credits, early access to videos, early access to daily tarot and daily affirmation, a monthly station meeting, access to our private Facebook group, free access to all virtual classes, and a free ticket to gallery readings. Um, now, what differentiates those three levels is what discount do you want on a private reading with Ace and Knight? At the $1 level, you can get a 25% discount. At the $5 level, you get a 50% discount. And at $10 a month, you get a 75% discount on a reading with Ace and Knight. Right. So come on, guys. It, it will give you more back than you will pay for it. Well, not only that, but you also get to participate in product research. You get to be my guinea pigs. You do. You get to choose what we talk about. Yeah. You you get a voice in that. That's what that face uh, that uh, station meeting is. Right. Speaking of product research, that is yeah. up. I do currently have a product research question. So, Reese's, if you haven't gone and voted on that product research, please do so. I find your information very valuable, and you can expect more this week because Asen's in training at Hay House. Hey, there you go. So, with that said, um, we do want to thank Beverly Walker, Mika G, Kathy, Mary Winfield, Brenda, Shannon C, Shannon D, Lady Gwendolyn, Charles Shaw, Tracy Van, Caitlin Bell, and Devin. If you'd like to learn more about us, the show, or how you too can become a Patreon sponsor and receive all the wonderful benefits our baristas receive, please visit us at pcsbnetwork.com. Yep. So with that, guys, you have a great weekend. We will see you Thursday night with coffee and tea. And I believe it's Gwen or Sandy. Gwen. Oh, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. I'll have to look on the same thing. Um, and that's Thursday night at 8 p.m. Until then, mm -hmm. good night, y'all. Good night.